NYC Adventures of the NYC Dance Teacher. I'm your co-host, Danielle Colangelo. And I'm your co-host, Tony Williams II. This podcast is all about the adventures that Danielle and I have as dance teachers and choreographers living here in New York City. We'll be sharing our experiences and all the ridiculous and hilarious truths. That being said, let's get into today's topic. Questions. So these are just some kind of standard for anyone that's in the industry. These are very standard questions or moments that kind of come up all the time when you're in a, when you're um, talking with kids. And I recently did a like a set of workshops where these questions all kind of popped up. So we thought we'd uh, share our responses yeah, to these we're questions. Yeah, answer today. these today. Uh, you want to go first? Sure. So our first question is, what do you do when you get to the audition and you don't look like the other dancers there? That's a good one. That is a good one. Um, and for me, it's one of those things of like, you're, I'm a believer in any space that you walk into, you're meant to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially here in New York City, there are so many different body types that dance. There are so many different makeups when it comes to dance ensembles and musicals or you know ensembles and dance companies like it's not Mm -hmm. like it was to be fair if you're talking ballet yes the body types have not changed or evolved that much um it's gone it's gotten taller like taller girls are still pretty much okay in ballet but the body types haven't changed that much but if you're talking like modern or music theater or contemporary Mm -hmm. or hip-hop the body sizes are all over this all over the place you know so i don't i wouldn't I'm sure you're going to feel intimidated because I've definitely done that myself mm-hmm. where that kind of intimidation hits me where it's like, oh, I, I'm i the only person here that does not have rock solid abs. Am I in the right space? Try to push past that because you don't, just because outside appearances may not all look the same, that still doesn't mean you don't have something to bring to the table yeah. for that audition. I also think that, um, you know, if there wasn't a specific breakdown of what they're looking for on mm-hmm. the audition notice, definitely show up. There are times that then they they do uh, typecasting once you get there, which is unfortunate because it kind of is a waste of certain people's time. But I also think that um, you you could be what casting is looking for that they didn't know that they wanted. So I think that if there isn't, you know, I I get it with certain roles. If there's like an iconic version Mm -hmm. of the role, I would understand if a lot of the same type of looking people show up. But if there is no like, hey, we're looking for someone who is five foot ten, brown hair, blue eyes, you know, whatever, show up because you literally, you never know what they might be thinking. You might be something that they didn't thought they wanted that they wanted. You also might be perfect for another role or another production. It's true so because always show up. I, I well two things from Danielle's response makes me think of like Sutton Foster. Mm-hmm. Sutton Foster has been a blonde, a brunette, a redhead it, probably more like she's been every hair color there is in existence on Broadway, even though she she herself is a brunette mm-hmm. who typically wears her hair rather long. So like she always transforms quite well for her looks, you know? So like, don't let something as simple as like hair or body type be a deterrent because they can always wig you, they can always pad you. Yep, that's right. You know, it it happens all too often. Or I often think of times where like certain roles, they don't, people don't, cause like I've, I've had this happen with race where when they did King Kong, everyone totally thought they were going to cast a lead girl as a blonde-haired, blue-eyed woman, and it ended right. up being a black girl. Right. Lead on because Broadway. you just sometimes, like, they're struck with a moment of, like, oh, wait. This is, this is the person that we want. Yeah. You know, so I would not I would not let that be a total deterrent to you. Mm-hmm. I don't think that would be, I don't think that would be fair to you in that way. Um, our next question. Do you have to share a room when you're on tour? I would love my own room. So I, um, the only time I I have ever done a tour was in, um, was when I was younger and in middle school and the beginning of high school. And it was, there was maybe only, most of them were, it was an educational tour. So they were usually day trips. A couple of them were overnights and we would just stay in hotels. And I actually did, I did do a tour for a a dance performance in college. so I don't have any personal experience for anything bigger than what I did in college on this small little dance tour and then what I did in middle school. However, from my understanding and knowledge and hearing other people who have been on tour, um, 
yeah, you're most likely going to share a room. Um, they're going to put you up in hotels, and it's a it's a budget thing. It's a it's a you know it's a cost thing. Oh yeah. So usually, you know, you'll have your own bed, but you usually will share a room with someone else. It'll be the standard two double beds yep. in a room type of situation. Um, I have been on tour, and that is literally the case. It's where it's literally it's two people to a room, and it's Danielle's yeah. totally right. It's down to a cost thing um because yes you will have your own bed and it's i've always had a full to a queen like it's not a small bed like right it's, it's like your normal bed. like double yeah double, double bed. you know double or queen um, bed from a hotel the only times that i know people who don't have to share a room is if your agent mm -hmm. argues mm -hmm. for one I, I should say argue for one it's contractually obligated right and that would have to be on an agent level that it's in your contract yes because i had a friend um when I was doing Beauty and the Beast, she wanted her own room. And they were like, due to like the space and the size of the cast, like we don't have any more single rooms we can give you. Like mm -hmm. we don't, there there are no more single rooms. And so, they're, so when they bounced back to her being like that, she's like, cool. Then they're gonna cross me over as equity for the last week. And so they were like, uh, well, I mean, if it's only for one week, that means we only have to pay you equity fee for one week. Mm -hmm. She's like, yeah, but so basically she finished a Christmas gig and had, she, she, our show closed like December 30th. Mm -hmm. And so she started the new audition season equity. That's great. Because of that, because they crossed her over. Great. So like, it's just one of those things. Talk with your agent. Cause like I have a friend that's on tour now where he gets his own room, Yeah. but he didn't ask for his own private bus row seat on the bus because it's a bus they have to travel from city right, to city on right. bus. he's like so I, and literally when he told me that i was like you can ask for your own row on the bus he goes yeah as long as it's in your contract he's like there are certain people he because he's a principal in the show mm -hmm. but he's like there are certain ensemble people who have their own seat yeah. to, own row to well, themselves because they ask for it in their contract at the end of the day if it's ever something you want it needs to be argued by an agent and it's got to be in that contract yep got it because for that reason they have two buses yeah when they tour um, our next question is, what's the hardest part of doing eight shows a week? That's a good one. I would say the lack of recovery time. Mm -hmm. The lack of recovery time and all the other normal people things you have to do mm -hmm. on top of all of the actory things you still have to do. Um, and let me explain that. So like when you're doing eight shows a week, minimum because I think we talked about this in the episode mm -hmm. before there are some times where more than eight shows happen in a week but if you're just doing eight shows a week your call time is until six or seven o'clock at night so you have basically your entire morning free yeah if it's Broadway it's I think it's eight o'clock show your call time is 7 30 yeah um and even with a little bit extensive make a call it's rarely 45 minutes to an hour like right you're exactly you're the most you're ever going to be there is an hour before you're not called very early maybe you'll have the occasional put in or things like that but you have the rest of the day that is free. Mm -hmm. But before you can get to that, let's go to the reverse of that. You're doing a show from, let's say, 8 o'clock curtain. It's a standard musical, so you're done at like 10 o'clock, give or take. 10 o'clock, 10.30. Then you're heading home. Maybe you live in the city. Maybe you live close. You're commuting home. You're now wired after doing a musical. Mm -hmm. Maybe you crash, but typically speaking, a lot of my Broadway friends aren't going they, to bed before midnight. Yeah, they usually go out, go see a movie, or and even just go home, and they're just like up for a while because yeah. your workday essentially started at 7 p.m. Yep, and so it's not very easy to come home and go to bed. So you're up to let's say you're let's say you're one of the better ones, and you're in, you're asleep by 12:30. You wake up. You go to breakfast, you may go hit the gym, you have to do laundry, you have mm -hmm. to run to the bank, like you have to get mm -hmm. up and get all those errandy type things done. So you can be in town, you know, so you can be in the part of town or maybe it's a matinee. So that means you have a 1.30 call, you know, or 1.30, one o'clock call, you know, so all of those life things kind of have to happen in the midst of you keeping your nights free and going to the show or not overly exerting yourself because you have to get to your th show at night. And then when you add in other actory things, like especially if you're doing a new musical, like standard, there's Broadway and Bryant Park, mm -hmm. which is a, a park in New York City where every year in the summer, kind of in the yeah, summer, it's the summer, they do a week of the musicals come on and perform a show in the park that's free. Mm -hmm. Then you also have the um, Broadway week on a lot of the television shows that are filmed here in New York. So that's like they each week, it'll be like Regis and Kelly or... The View, all the girls yep. do, like they invite Broadway shows in to come on and do numbers. 
those call times are like 5.30 in the morning. So like they're there to do a performance bright and early in the morning and then they still have to go do two shows that night or a show that night. You know, so you have, when you're balancing all of that, it's hard, it's hard. Like it's a lot mm -hmm. of back and forth. It's a lot of managing your time and your energy and how much sleep you need to get through your show. You know, how much talking you can do in the day so you can still sing mm -hmm. at night. Yeah. So what about you? What's the hardest part about H of the week? Um, I think that it would be the same thing for me, the sustainability, um, because you have to make sure your body is ready to go for that show that night. So sometimes it might be like, you might think like, oh, well, what's the big deal? You have the whole morning and afternoon off. But, you know, if you think about like, okay, my show is done at, you know, between 10 and 10.30. And then by the time I get out of the theater, it's closer to 11. And then I have to commute home and say it takes me 20 to 30 minutes to get home. And some people it's further. Some people don't even live in in Manhattan. They live out in Hoboken or Jersey City or they live all the way up in Inwood or there. the Bronx. Some live in or, Westchester yeah. that drive in. Oh yeah, there are people that have Everyone's family. Everyone's favorite, Audrey McDonald lives uh, in yeah. Westchester. And Jersey, there are people who, especially those that have families, they move mm -hmm. to the suburbs and Absolutely. they'll drive or take the train in then. Um, but let's say you live, let's say like my commute, right? So my commute from Midtown is 20 minutes mm -hmm. from where I live currently. Okay, so I leave around 11-ish. I gotta wait for the train. It's 20 minutes. I'm home between 11.30 and 12. Then it's like, I probably want a snack. I gotta get ready for bed. Like, I'm not asleep till almost one. Yeah, and, thinking about, I'm thinking about that too. If you're legit hungry and need to eat dinner again, yeah. like you're cooking dinner. Yeah, but so I think that it's that because at least for me personally, like I need my sleep. Yeah. So if I'm not going to bed till one o'clock, I, I need to sleep till at least like nine or 10 a.m. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just the sustainability. And I think that, you know, there are hundreds of people that do it every day and it's their job and they make it work. But I think in the beginning of trying to figure out how to have your life mm -hmm. around that schedule, because it's a different schedule. Very much so. And I also like there are constant interviews of like, Several people that have been in it for years where they're just like, it'll be funny. They'll be like, I have to take a break from doing shows to like raise my kids mm -hmm. because like there's a lot of people on Broadway where they're like, if mom and dad are both on Broadway, who's putting our kids to bed? Because oh, absolutely. Like, they're like, by the time I get home at 10, 11 o'clock, they need to have been sleep and home right. or done, you know? So it's just a huge lifestyle adjustment when you're running eight shows a week that I, that that's like, that's what makes it hard for me. Absolutely. Our next question is... I did it. I booked the gig, but I'm halfway through rehearsals and I hate the show. Do I stick it out or do I quit? So I've talked about this before yes. on this podcast personally. Yes. I have had this experience. Um, I wasn't performing. I choreographed and we were more than halfway through the rehearsal process. We were getting into tech week mm -hmm. and I was miserable. And it was a show that I was so excited to do. It's a show that I loved. And I still think that my work on the show was pretty incredible. But um, I had that thought and that conversation. Do I walk away? Mm -hmm. Do I write up paperwork and ask to be paid out for my work thus far? And do I walk away? Or do I stick it out? And in the end, I stuck it out. And I, I'm glad that I did. It was really mm -hmm. amazing to see the show come to life and get to have my family come see it and my friends come see it and and just like colleagues of mine come see it um and to have it on my resume but it is really hard and it's going to be emotionally taxing mm -hmm. to figure out what is right for you in that moment i think that it is about what's going on and how you're feeling and like what like why do you hate it yeah so i think if it's yes. a situation where like and it's your contract too, right? So if it's a Broadway show, so there's a couple different things, right? As a choreographer, this was a show that I did that ran three weeks. And as the choreographer, essentially after opening night, I was done. Yes. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna do it. It's gonna be fine. I can make it to opening night. As a performer, you have time on top of that. And then depending on what the yeah. type of show is, if we're thinking national tour or Broadway, that contract is six months. Oh yeah. So 
you need to kind of really think about what are the reasons why you're hating it. Is it like you just don't love the material or is it that there is something actually happening that's keeping you from feeling safe or supported yes. or able to do your job? Um, but I think that's person to person. And I think that if it is a situation where you, ex especially if it's a situation where you're feeling unsafe in the environment or um, manipulated or it's do it's weighing on your your health both mental and physical then maybe it is time to walk away i'm yeah i'm a big proponent of like if your safety is endangered then absolutely walk away um but on the others i'm gonna play devil's advocate too mm-hmm it's still your job. Yeah, it is. And so, like, depending on what the gig is, and, you know, I, I think you can't make it, don't, just don't make a rash, hasty decision. Yeah. Is what I would encourage any, would encourage anyone to not do. Um, and again, you just have to realize that every, every contract is going to be different. I can say that being in the business now, no show is the same. Even if it's mm -mm. the same show at a different company, it's not going to be the same no matter if it's the same, even if it's like the same director doing the same show a couple of years later, people change and grow every day. It's going to be different. Mm -hmm. Um, and like I, for some reason, when, um, Danielle was answering, I was thinking of the original cast of Rent on Broadway. When Adina Menzel left, she was replaced by Sherry Renee Scott. Mm -hmm. The company hated her. Yeah. She and it wasn't because to my knowledge, it wasn't because Sherry did anything. It was just because she wasn't Adina. Because this company was the comp the original company they started, started off Broadway together, and together. then no one they left. They went Jonathan Larson's passing together, yeah. And like, and then they made it to Broadway, and it became this stellar hit. And they just were like such a tight knit group. Also, to be fair, I have heard that Sherry Renee Scott is. I have worked with Sherry. I'm gonna say that because I think there's a question like that coming a little later. I've worked with Sherry Renee Scott, so. I'm not surprised, especially, and I worked with an older Sherry Renee Scott after she just had a baby. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine what younger Sherry Renee Scott was like, but I, I'm up for now. I'm going to play devil's advocate and say in that situation, she was like, it was a lot of people that didn't like me, but she's like, I started, I still had a, a job to do. Yeah. You know, I still had to go out and do my job, Yeah. you know? And so I think, and this, this happens a lot of the times. I think we talked about this on the understudy episode where people go see they go to a show to see someone specifically and then they get in the audience and they make the announcement and realize there's an understudy mm -hmm. and people will hate the understudy just because it's not who they thought they were going to see. Right. That understudy still has to go do their job. They shouldn't want to quit just because people are call, are saying mean things. Right. So I just say take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, I agree. So yeah, I just say take it with a grain of salt. Is it your turn? My turn? What's the it's your turn. Oh. Yeah, number five. Oh, okay. I'm in a show and I and I love it. Things are going great, but I just got an offer to be in my dream show. It's only a chorus part, but it's my dream show. Oh Do I Yeah, yeah, I think Do I it. take it? Um, well, she tells us the name of the shows. So she said that um, the dream show is something rotten and that they are currently in My Fair Lady. So the question is, should I leave My Fair Lady? Ugh. I... I think, so I think that it depends on circumstances. Um, you go first. Sorry, I read the question. Uh, no, no, no. So you say but just, first. Like, I think you're right. It does depend on circumstances because that's a tough one because like I, my favorite show is a chorus line and like... If I'm doing, if I was in her situation where I'm like, I'm doing My Fair Lady, and they're like, you can go do a chorus line. You're going to be one of the cut dancers in the opening number. Everything in me is still going to be like, yeah, but a chorus line is going to be on my resume because mm -hmm. I love a chorus line. So, like, I, I think I'm one of those people, if it's possible, why not? Like, if you can make it work out contractually where, you know, you can give them enough time where they can replace you, mm -hmm. you know, you can stay and do the put-in rehearsals or whatever the case may be. Like, if you can make it happen without there being too much fire and brimstone, I would say go for it. Mm -hmm. Just because our favorite shows don't come around often. That's no true. No matter, you know, what it is. So, I don't know. That's that's where my head I is. I do. I do think that it depends on the production. 
Oh, true. Um, I think that as much as it's your dream show, if it's not at the same level as the show you are currently in, it's not going to do you justice to leave. And it's just going to piss off a lot of people who could help your career in the future. Yes. So I think that, again, it's really important to weigh all of the deciding factors in this. I think that's um, a good point. Make, yeah, make sure it's a step up, not a step right. down. It needs to, yeah, it needs to be a step up show. in your career for your dream show because you don't want to have that fire and brimstone that could potentially hurt you from booking a job after. Right, because I just, like, that's a really good context to put in because if, like, I in this particular question, I know this person is not on Broadway, but it's like, mm-hmm. you're not leaving a Broadway show to go do a regional theater run of a show, you know? No. You don't, like, it's, it's that unspoken tier thing that, like, I love community theater. I think great work happens at community theater, but community theater, you're not paid. You're not going to go leave a national tour to go do community theater. Right. You know, even if they're offering you the leading your dream show, like, it just, that detachment, that doesn't work. Right. So I definitely give that one. Um, our next one. Do dancers make a lot of money? So, again, this is all dependent on how you hustle and what your gigs are. True. Um, I think that there are people out there that are freelance dancers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to even take a step away from, like, being, like, full-time in a Broadway show or a national tour or something. I'm going to talk, like, strictly freelance, which is the majority of the population. Yeah, fact. Um, but I know that there are people out there who are freelance dancers that are able to make a decent living Mm -hmm. and pay their rent and go out and pay their bills and have the lifestyle that they want because they are hustling. They are hustling gig to gig and on the side, they're teaching little kids dance. They're working at 305 Fitness. They're, you know, working at a bar, um, front desk at some studio somewhere. So I think that if you want it to be your career, even if you are a freelancer, you can make it a very sustainable career, but you have to understand that you will be hustling. Yeah. If it's that freelance life. Because I even think within companies, like I know, like again, you're taught to your companies, sure, you're probably making great money just off that alone. But I have a lot of friends that dance in smaller companies here in the city Mm -hmm. and throughout the country that like, they still, they do the same thing. They're working at a gym, you know, part-time because they're, you know, or they're doing something else during the off season of their, of the dance company. Yeah. You know, so I, off the bat, I would say, do dancers make a lot of money? Depends, you know, because it just, I know some, like I, myself, I've done some gigs where I've walked out of there with a check for a couple thousand dollars for a few hours. So, yeah. I've worked other gigs where it's like, you barely covered my bus. Fare. Right. It really, it truly depends because yeah, I, like I was just looking up like ABT salaries because we, we talked about this on our most recent episode. We know how much Broadway makes the minimum, yeah. the minimum weekly contract is like 2000 and change or yep. 20, it might be 21 now for your minimum. That's your, I think it's 21 base. Now. That's like yeah. your base minimum. So yeah, you're making good, decent money. Um, I can't get a core number, but I just, I'm reading an article that's saying that AB, um, at ABT American ballet theater, um, they're, in 2016, their two top paid dancers made 158,000 and change and 188,000 and change. That's a lot of money. And that um, it says a rough guess would put, um, oh, they're talking about Missy Copeland. A rough guess would put her salary somewhere between 100 and 158. So yeah, I think that I, lifestyle. Yeah, I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get what a core what a core would be. There's also a note here that says Houston Ballet core members make 62, almost 63,000 a year. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, yeah. I had a friend that danced with Houston Ballet. That's extremely livable. That's especially, livable. Uh, okay, especially, especially when you take that Houston. number. You're in Houston, but you're not even, in New York. But even so in that New money York goes City, a long way. But even in New York City, that's, that's more than enough to have yes. a good lifestyle. So yes, I think that if you're in a bigger company or a Broadway show or a tour, like you're really lucky um, but it depends on your trajectory. And like I said, I think, mm-hmm. I think it's very possible to make 60,000 a year freelancing if you're just really working your butt off gig to gig to gig and you have your side hustle. Absolutely. I would completely agree. It's, um, it can be done. 
Yes. So our next question <laughs> is, do choreographers make a lot of money? And very same, similar answer. Yeah. I will say that we as choreographers have the chance to make a little bit more money. Yes. Because we get royalties. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, especially if you're like, so if everyone wants to get in with them, and I get it. If you're a Broadway choreographer or an associate on a Broadway show, you you will continue to get paid every time they do your show mm -hmm. or you will get you get like a percentage of the royalty yeah fees so that it's like, like that. i looked it up recently it's um it depends on which is the of course it depends on which is the smaller number yes um but it's either once once the show has made money back yes so mm -hmm. once the show is recouped, once the show is recouped for as long as that show is running and as long as you are never technically fired from that show, mm -hmm. you will either see a percentage of the weekly profits or a, or it's like, it's like either a percentage of the weekly profits or it's like, um, it's like a couple hundred every week. It's like 900 every week or a percentage, or it might be a little more now. It might yeah. be more than a thousand. It depends. It depends. Roughly. Yeah. So it all, it is all dependent on like and the, the budget and how much everything is and everything. But that's after that is after you have already been paid for creating the show. And I do want to write. So that's money that's coming in after you've long since left that project. Yeah. And I do kind of want to just take a moment and talk about like how much money we're talking here. Um, I'm going to try to look it up to with, best my ability. Um, first of all, I want to give a shout out to Jonathan, who was a guest on the show. Hadestown just recouped like a week ago. Yes. So, yeah. Congratulations, Hadestown Jonathan. Hadestown just recouped on Broadway. Hadestown just started recouped their money. So now people are going to start getting People paid. are going to get paid. Um, but in particular, like when you think of musicals like Hamilton, like the original choreography for Hamilton is a part of all set. I think they have 18 different companies around the yeah, world or something, something crazy like, like that. that. I just saw a posting for the Ann Peggy tour, which is about to go out again for like the 10th time. They're still doing original choreography. So that choreographer is still getting paid for that work that had been set mm -hmm. many, many moons ago, you know, and 1% of a billion guys like that's like, that's if you're getting, let's say you're getting a 1% of the weekly gross Hamilton, Lion King, Phantom of the Opera. These are all shows that regularly gross a million dollars a week. Broadway. Yeah. You know, so like a percentage of a million dollars. Okay, so this is so this is off Broadway, and then I'll pull up Broadway in a second. So I'm on the SDC website, stage director and choreographer mm -hmm. uh, union website, and this is free to download. This is public knowledge. Yes. Yeah. Um, off Broadway commercial productions. Your basic agreement rate. Um. A choreographer, uh, so depending on what category it is, right? So the lowest is category A, that's 100 to 199 seats. You are going to get paid um, a total of 9000 to produce the show. And then you will get paid 1.5% of gross profits or paid on the net operating profits. So that depends on if the show recoups and how much it recoups. Mm -hmm. That goes all the way up to Lord D, which is 400 to 499 seeds. And that's a $16,000 to produce the show plus your profits. Nice. Um, so that's your off Broadway. And then there's like, um, and those are minimums, by the way. Yes. These are all minimums. Yes. Um, so these are all of your basic agreements, um, fees for tours. So like if you're going on tour and you're a choreographer for a musical, your minimum fee is 17,000 and change. Um, let me try to find. And I just like, as she's looking this up guys, like yeah, continue. most of your regional theaters are Lord D theaters. Yeah. They're most of them are D for, for yeah, somewhere between three and 500 seats. Yeah. So like mm -hmm. mo that's what your standard regional theater that the one that you know, down the street, that's most of them are either 501Cs or their Lord DNC. I've worked at a Lord D and a Lord C theater and tons of 501s. So, like, that's your standard for those guys. All right, I got Broadway. Um, okay, so your Broadway is for a choreographer 
Directors are paid a little more than choreographers, by the way. And if you're a director slash choreographer, it's a, that's a decent paycheck. It is, but that's a lot of pressure. Um, yeah, so <laughs> your choreographer on a musical, this is the rates that were in effect from, sep from September 2018 through the end of August 2019. So oh, there is a new recent. rate out. Yes, because it's but I don't the new know what I don't it think is. it's updated yet. It's not, because on my website, it's 60000 to produce the show. So yeah, let, let me be clear. That's 60,000 upfront. <laughs> yeah, let me be clear. That's 60,000 upfront for 6 to 8 weeks of work. Yes, because you're it. not you're in, mm -hmm. and that's rehearsals and previews. Because and if we're talking that's like never gonna be longer than if eight, we're talking like oh, but I was the choreographer on the lab or the reading, those are separate contracts. You're being paid separately for those. Yes. Once it becomes Broadway, it's 60,000 upfront for 6 to 8 weeks of work. Yes. And then your royalties are gross 0.5%. So it is, um, what it says is gray zone, $613 minimum plus 2.5% of NOP between 100 and 120 break even. So once they've reprofit, you also get 2.5% um, plus 613 a week. So like that's... And mind you, but then your NOP, which I'm not really sure what NOP stands for, but your NOP is, um, maybe that's after they break even. Probably your NOP is 1%. So that is, um, eight, 817 weekly minimum, one point, um, 1.1% at 125% recoup, um, and that's your minimum. So it will, they, they're. Especially the more they recoup, the yeah, more you so get. So there's a note, there is a note that says the cap of recruit, of recoup that you will be paid per week is 22880 So $2,880 weekly, that's the maximum you can make on recoups. Let me be clear, that's what Andy Blankenbuehler is making off of Hamilton. And has a been week. for a while. Because like, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking right. of shows like Frozen has recouped forever mm -hmm. ago. Uh, mean Girls, I think, recouped this year as well, too, if I'm remembering right. Mm -hmm. um, so that's on if they continue to be, like, at that's at 125% or over. Right. But still, that's Hamilton. You, that's Hamilton. That's Lion King. Yeah. Lion King, literally, yeah. let me be clear. Lion King shut down, moved theaters, and they're still making a million dollars a week. Yeah. And have been since 1999 when they opened. Right. And again, these are your basic, these are your basic agreements. So that's 60,000 up front for a no-name Broadway choreographer. Yeah. I'm sure Andy Like, Blankenburg whoever did Wicked, I cannot tell you who's the choreographer no. on Wicked, but, but Wicked I'm, is the longest, the longest run, one of the, it's in the top, I think mm -hmm. it's number eight of longest mm -hmm. running musicals. So we've been like so, on yeah. this topic for a while and we just gave you a lot of numbers, but the point we want to get across is like, yeah, choreographers can make really a lot of money, money. <laughs> even, even on an off Broadway schedule on an off Broadway mm -hmm. thing. If that show is recouping and doing well, like you are making uh, a good salary. Boy singing is still running. Right. And so I know that choreographers right. made their money. But if you can get a Broadway show, even if your Broadway show doesn't recoup, your minimum 60,000 mm -hmm. plus 613 a week and like 1%. The fantastic rate right. forever. Like there are plenty of off-Broadway shows that so forever. For, it's, yeah, it's a lot of money for someone who's a no-name. Like you're getting a decent salary. So, moving oof, on. Insane. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> Basically, um, yeah. Choreography is not a dead-end job. No, 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 no. Um, how many dances do you choreograph a year? And this is from one of our fellow dance teachers. Ooh, good. You start. How many in a year? So you can think school year or you can think calendar year. Okay, so school year on average, so it depends. On, so last year I taught at a school where I was teaching K through third grade. Mm -hmm. Plus I had two dance clubs and one elite dance um, club as well. So that's six for your so school. So that's, man. well, grades. Ah, so there's the kicker. Um, yep. I was in my spring show, in my, my spring show last year, I had K, K, first, 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 first grade club, second, 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 second grade club, third, third, elite third, and elite third then also did a second dance. So that's 
14. Plus 14 kids. For one show. For one, yep. Um, oh, for right. my upcoming performance this year, new school, I only teach... Um, lower elementary school and there's only a couple of great oh, a couple of sections of each grade so there will be but even then there will be six for each show that's still a decent amount of dances but that's also not including you also work for another organization yes where you choreograph for them year round so i work for another organization where i choreograph for them year round and a lot of their choreography is now set it's in repertoire um Ooh, yeah, how, which is great i go in and i teach to new brush members yeah. and then we brush up but however there is always things that come up certain gigs want certain pieces that are not in a repertoire so then i choreograph for those pieces um you know, such and such like so, that, or we add a new song to the repertoire. We're always updating. So yearly on average, if yearly, if you had to put a number, if we're talking 20, like 19 as a year, yeah. um, so like 14, what I think I did two new pieces for BYE. So like maybe I would say somewhere between like 16 and 17 in 2019. I think. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think there were, I think there were about two new, two new pieces in the repertoire for BYE and then my spring show. And that was, and I didn't do any outside, um, any other outside work this year. Four, I'm trying to five, six, seven, and then 15, 16, who else do I see? 17? 17. I'd, yeah, I think for if I were to do like 2019, 17 would be the number that I ended up at. And that's just because like, and that changes. Cause like, I'm also right. thinking about Danielle and I both took our summers, our, this, right. we this took summer's our summers 19 off. off. So like, and there's been some years where we haven't. So yeah. there's been some summers where we've added a ton of choreography during our summers. So like, yeah, that number strongly fluctuates. Especially specifically as a dance teacher, um, you are choreographing a lot. Yeah. Like I'm thinking of the year that I taught, I was at magnet middle school and I was teaching for just this one magnet middle school that I was only there three days a week. I taught two, two it was two dances for six, two dances for seventh and two dances for eighth. Mm -hmm. And that was at sub so six dances for just this one school. Yeah. I was still at like three other schools. Yeah. So like there, yeah, there's sometimes where like burnout is real like there are sometimes where i've just cranked out a lot of choreography in such a short amount of time where i, I was just like yeah. what am i doing well i had i had one summer where um Ooh, i'm probably at 18 i before, forgot about I, had, I had one year that i chore i was working for a um youth theater here in the city and i think i did two or three shows with them during the spring and i was um at this point i was still i was with byE as well by this time so i was working on choreography for them and then over the summer i did um two musicals plus I taught dance so I did a couple of pieces yep. um, and then I came back and I did a show as well in the city and then I remember it was like October and I was like I don't want to do anything for like months now because yep. I'm exhausted absolutely um, I like yeah, the lot. burnout is real you did, it's a lot um, I think it's your turn yes yeah, so um this will be a fun one the favorite your favorite show you've ever choreographed oh my god um, I think I know this is hard. I think I got to go with a dance concert. Mm. Um, I did so many moons ago. Um, I had a competition dance team, and um, I love those babies. They're all like close to high school now. Mm -hmm. They're all like close to high school now. Uh, like not close to high school. They're all close to graduating high school now. So like I feel old. But um, we did a piece, like I got to do a piece about like um, death and remembering people. And like, mm. so it was the first time like I got to do a piece like that. Um, and so it was just so, um, it was just so cool. Like, and just seeing the entire community come together for like our competition. Cause it was like our benefit show to raise money for the mm -hmm. year. So yeah, like it was really, I was over the moon about it. Um. I'm trying. So, 
I choreographed the pajama game one year and that's really close to my heart because I am a huge Fosse person. So that was like a really awesome, fun one where I think that I was able to do a lot of like great work and I got to recreate nice. Steve Keats originally, original yeah. choreography, which was fun. Um, however, I think that one of my favorites, definitely like one of my top two would be, I did a production of Zombie Prom one year and that was so yes. fun. It's just such fun, campy music that I was able to do like really, really fun, mm -hmm. campy choreography um, and I would love to do it again. So yeah, I think that was, that's definitely my top two of the favorite shows I've choreographed. I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Zombie Prom. Um, number 10. How many celebrities have you worked with? Were they nice? So. <laughs> this is why I said I'd come back to the sharing um, Scott story. I had a really weird upbringing and I worked or was around celebrities a lot um, growing up. Um, my brother has worked with more celebrities than I have. Um, he did two Broadway shows and TV and all of that. I still freak out about the fact that your brother was a part of my favorite production of Nine yeah. and I didn't know it. Yeah, he, um, he was, I was like walking down the street and I ran, because I was thinking about Call to the Vatican, which is one yeah. of my favorite numbers, and Jane Kraskowski is upside down singing high A's, and I was like, your brother was just there. I'm jealous. Keep going. Yeah, there's a really, really funny story about one of those tech rehearsals with that. There's oh my God, really I can good imagine. One. I can, uh, maybe I'll share it at the end of the uh, episode. Um, so I grew up a, 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 around meeting a lot of celebrities, working with celebrities. I'm trying to think who I've worked with off the top of my head. Um, I've had the opportunity through choreographing for BYE, Broadway Youth Ensemble, which is a, um, a performance organization where I've worked a lot with, sometimes celebrities will come in and do pieces with BYE. Mm -hmm. um, and I would have to say that 90 7% of people I've met either worked with or my brothers worked with and I just kind of grew up around 97% of people were night were always extremely nice um I'm trying to think if there was like I think you know yeah there's a couple divas here and there people that just like can't be bothered um but I would say 97 to 99% of people are very humble and um sweet and yeah. were, have been really great I will say the same, like I, I've just gotten stupidly lucky where I've bumped into or ran into or been like met a lot of celebrities in general and then let alone um, working with, like I've randomly just n by no sheer f trying on my part have worked with a lot of random celebrities and things like that. And they're, um, it's just so weird in the sense of like, I will agree with you, 99% I would say are generally nice. And the one or two diva twos we had were all like reasonable upsets. Yeah, I'm I will trying, say, because like one of them, it was like, I worked with this huge, huge like um, uh, R&B recording artist. I don't want to drop her name, but the venue was ice cold. Like mm -hmm. we were there all morning and we were the course and we we're like, guys, we're freezing. It's too cold in here to be singing. Mm -hmm. Like you need like cut off the AC and they're like, it's so hot. If we don't, it's going to be a problem. So like we were already arguing with them. The singer got out the car, came on for sound check and walked in, took one breath to start singing. and was like, it's far too cold in here. I'm, I'm gonna crack. No, y'all need to cut the AC off and let it get a little bit warmer in mm -hmm. here. I'm gonna be in the car. Mm -hmm. So she walked back out and got in the car and waited for them to like yeah. react and deal. And we were all kind of like, a lot of people kind of jumped on, oh, she's just being a diva. But like the entire course behind her were like, actually, we've been yelling that since we got yeah. here at 11 o'clock this morning. I will say there was one person that um, probably youth ensemble got to do a really high profile um, event with a couple of years ago where she uh, really, massive pop star massive massive pop star um and she has a reputation of being a diva and that reputation was extremely true she mm. was a really really big diva yeah. um but that was like honestly like one of the only people i've met that's ever been like that yeah and i think it's just the one of the the world that we kind of live in now where it's like the diva 
this is no longer the age of the diva. No, I feel like I've said that before on the the podcast. It's like, we're just not in the age of the diva anymore where it doesn't work to be the angry diva. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't work to have people fawning and crawling all over you. It's just not how business gets done anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. Our next question is, how do you stay healthy going to auditions, rehearsals, shows, and your money-making job? Uh, You don't. Um, No. It's... It takes a lot of practice and mm-hmm. self-care. I refer mm-hmm. you back to our self-care mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it is sometimes it's easier than others. Like that's yeah. that's the honest truth, and I think that goes for a lot of things in life. Like if you were to ask me, like I said, I was very fortunate this year where I had I was making my off-Broadway debut at the same time that my students were doing like two or three shows that week. So like I was pulling like. 12 to 15 hour days for like a week and a half. I was not doing a lot. I was eating quite well, but mm. I was not getting enough sleep in, in time from like getting home late and trying to get home early. So that was weighing on me. Um, I ate mostly healthy, but like I just, I wasn't doing like my kind of like no electronics. I would, I kind of once a week try to give myself time where there's like no electronics on. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't doing that because like I needed to answer emails from like parents and producers, you know? So like it, that week was really hard to maintain that, you know, but then there are other weeks where it's like, I don't, I'm only doing a show or I'm only taking classes. I'm only teaching classes. Yeah. So you try to, I, I would say you try to maintain your balance when you can, because once you maintain your balance, you feel so off when you're off your balance. Mm-hmm. Like for me, one of the, um, a very relaxing thing that I do, I play video games where I kind of shut out the rest of the world. I don't really answer my phone and I just kind of play me wrapped up in whatever game I'm playing that doesn't matter. When I don't give myself like that two hours a week, or sometimes longer, depending mm-hmm. on my schedule, to zone out of the world, I immediately feel it. It's like, you have not shaken away the world. Like, I, it really, I really, really feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think it's exactly what you said. I think sometimes it's, it's easier than others. I definitely have been in situations where it's been really hard. I haven't been able to work out and eat healthy, and that yeah. becomes extremely draining on my mental, emotional, and physical health, especially since I have... Um, a disorder that eating healthy and exercising like literally like my disorder rides on making sure that I put myself first. Yep. Um, so I think, I think it's really hard, but I think that if it's coming to that point where you do have a lot going on, it's literally making sure that you are leaving time for yourself mm-hmm. for whatever thing you do that helps you to relax, reading video games, drawing, watching TV, just like kind of having, yeah, go to the gym, like making sure that you have your alone time and your time with yourself and meal prepping and all of that. Um, but yeah, it is by no means easy for sure. Mm -hmm. And our last question for you guys, it's the first day of rehearsal and my ex-boyfriend walked in. He's a supporting lead. I don't have any solo scenes with him, but I still have to be around him. What do I do? And this is from one of, um, a student that I worked with that's in college currently. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure if this is at her college or at another theater, but um, yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to think if I've ever been in this situation. I tried mostly in my life to not date someone in the in this <laughs> that's industry. That's the real answer. Um, I have definitely still done it a couple of times, and let me tell you, it's always ended in disaster. Don't do it. So don't do it. Just don't do um, it. I think it was a really big learning curve for me, but I would really try not to, and when I did, I realized quickly it was not okay. Um, I mean... I think it's hard. I think it depends on your relationship, right? If it was an amicable ending, you should be able to be fine. If it was super volatile, then then maybe it's a conversation that you need to have with the director or the stage manager, whoever it may be. If like it is a situation where it was like super volatile and you're you're nervous about it for some reason, but if it's a weird thing where like you just kind of ended amicably and it's just like weird to see him, you know, part of honestly being an adult is like working with people that you don't necessarily like. And that doesn't mean romantically. That also means just like, 
as co-workers, as friends, as human beings, like there are going to be people that you just don't get along with. You just don't vibe with. You're never going to vibe with anyone. There might be people where it starts out great and then you have a falling out, but it's learning how to be a professional and an adult. So I think that that's the biggest thing. Unless again, unless it's like an actual volatile environment, then yeah, you need to say something. You need to go to a higher up and have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. If it's like a, you know, we broke up because he hit me. Like that is immediately you in front of company management being like, this is what 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 went down between us. So you know what's going on. Um, but assuming that that's not the case, because that for me is like worst case scenario. Assuming that's not the case, I think Danielle is absolutely right. Like I, I said earlier in the episode, it's your job. The minute you sign that contract, like you signed on to do a job. Mm-hmm. And you have to do your job unless your health is at risk, mm-hmm. you know? And I say this, like, I can think of a particular instance where I, to, I was the, I was an ASM on the show. Um, this is my internship for college. One of our lead actresses, it wasn't her, but she was in the best, she was, um, her best friend was cheated on by one of the guys in the show. Mm-hmm. Like, and so they did not like each other. Mm -hmm. it was like they were like engaged so like she was like you broke up like you were engaged to my best friend and you cheated on her so like i don't want to say her name but like she was like over him like it was there was nothing this guy could ever say to make things better for her Mm -hmm. and i did i found this i think the only reason why i found out is that like they uh they had we had a run through or something like that and so they had to be like around each other a lot more than just like us putting book scenes together or mm-hmm. numbers together and we she like we got to our first 15 minute break and she was like i need a smoke break and we were like mm, you're in the middle of a musical you sure should be smoking right now so i like kind of went out to talk with her about that and then she shared the story with me that was like we were we were almost in tech because like we were doing full run throughs at that mm-hmm. point. So like we she'd been around him for like two or three weeks and I was like, I would have never known this. Yeah. Because in that rehearsal room, she was so professional. He was so professional. Now granted, looking back, I go, they never sat beside each other or right. they were never near each other if they didn't but have they to. They kept be. it professional. And they kept it very professional. And so she was just like she was like, I'm just tired and it's really hard to be professional when I'm tired. But like this is what's going on. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm like, I'm glad you told me that. I'll make sure to not make sure y'all are not driving riding in the bus together that brings right. you, to, you know to the theater or like i said i can do things to make it a little easier on your part because i'm the one i was the asm so i had to do yeah. all that paperwork anyway so she was like oh my god like i would never ask you to do that i was like it's we have five cars making five trips back and forth to the theater it's not an issue to have you be in car one and him car two like that's no effort on my part whatsoever so she was really grateful for that but like it's one of those things where you kind of just have to put on your big girl pants or big boy Mm -hmm. pants and just be like i'm a professional i'm professional because it's one of those things of like i've done shows with people that i don't even talk to anymore and we were so close at the time so Mm -hmm. like it's one of those things of like you do have to have a professional courtesy when you work with people. I I agree with Danielle. Don't date people in the industry or don't date people that can end up on the same show as you or like it can get very hairy and complicated. Mm-hmm. And I just don't, I'm a fan of not overcomplicating things. Mm-hmm. So I definitely say if you don't have to, don't. And if that is the case, be as professional as you can be and move on. Yeah. I think that that question, um, so that's the end of our questions section. Yes. Um, we hope you enjoy. We hope that these are some questions that um, maybe are, you know, we gave our opinions and help, help to answer mm-hmm. some questions you guys might have. Um, as always, any questions that come up, like DM us, email us. We love to do some questions <laughs> and answer them. I'm sure we'll try to do another question episode yes. again. But that um, is a great subway segue into something that I would like to kind of talk about toward the end of this episode is the great um, West Side Story controversy um, currently surrounding the Broadway revival, which is set to open in a couple of weeks. So what this is, for those who don't know, is Tony and I had an entire episode on this back in the spring or this past spring or summer about, um, I don't know his name. I'm going to have to look it up right now. Um, Do you know his name off the top of your head? Um, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue because I can see all the advertisements for it where they talk about it. So, and I have strong emotions, most of them negative. Yes. Yeah, um. Yeah, I cannot remember his name. Try to get his name. Um. Right but now. the there is yeah there is a revival of West Side Story that is yeah I'm 
oddly enough, I feel like it's opening before the new year. It is. It's in December. Which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It is. But, uh... Um... Oh my god. Maybe they think they're gonna get the Christmas boon? I don't know why they would think that, but so sorry, let me share that bit tidbit of information. Sorry, this is terrible. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, um Amar Ramas Ramasar, which I'm probably butchering his name, but um Amar Ramasar was the individual who was fired from mm -hmm. the New York City Ballet um back in the spring for sending and extorting sexually explicit photos, text messages, and emails mm -hmm. about other company members, sending them to other members, directors, donors, um, photos, emails, and text messages that were extremely sexually explicit, and um, the emails and text messages were very volatile. Um, he was in the Broadway revival of Carousel. This all came yep. out after Carousel. Um, there were members of the company of Carousel that came forward and said, like, yeah, like, he was really aggressive, and he tried to hit on me and get upset when I said no, and he was really creepy. Like, there were ensemble yeah. members that came forward and, and said I, that. I, don't even know, I can't remember if he left or they were, like, two weeks into closing. They anyway. was, like, two weeks into closing. Yeah, so, so it was very... But there was, I think, I think, like, his understudy did go on, on for, for at least a week. I think yeah. they might have asked him to leave, like, two, those two weeks early and the mm -hmm. understudy finished the production. Um, so he was fired from the New York City Ballet. They went through a whole investigation, blah, 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 blah. A couple of weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, they officially, so. they officially announced the rest of the casting for West Side Story, which has been very interesting that they've been very tight-lipped around it, and I think this is partly why. They announced that um, Amar would be Bernardo in the new production. Um, the internet went wild. Yeah. Um, yep. People are extremely uncomfortable because what's essentially happening is somebody who has been a, now a convicted sex felon, um, and yes, my, mind you, because the text messages and emails were subpoenaed, they are all public record. You can go yes. online and search for them and read them, yes, and yes, yes. there are some that are just really, um, truly degrading and disturbing, to be yep. honest. Um, so he was hired as Bernardo. And so now there's a big push to boycott the production for, for ticket sale purposes. I personally will not be going to see it. Um, I already felt I had issues. Uh, yeah, I, I had issues. I already felt some type of way because originally the way that they've been promoting the production is only with male um, male members for the posters and the, the, and the commercials. All the commercials and it's all male. They it's won't, all men. They and it's not any Hispanic men. No. Also. And then they're also like taking out certain numbers and it's just like for it is, honestly no reason I feel it's it's one of those things of like I was not again when I saw the promotion on this I was like what is this and then right I hear the music of West Side Story coming in and I go this can't possibly be West I, Side Story there is not a single person of Latin descent in any of these promotional materials but I let it go and then someone brought up the point of where are all the women I was like Good point. How dare you talk about West Side Story without at least telling right. us who Anita is? Right. That's who, a huge selling. I mean, who's Maria? Maria, Maria and Anita. Right. Especially with the, especially in the dance world, I'm like, how are you going to not tell us who Anita is? But again, I was already very not for this production. And then when they were like, it's releasing in December, because again, the holiday. That's what I was going to say when we were looking at the information. A show opening before. Christmas is always a very scary risk yeah. because you will get the holiday Christmas boon and, and you're a little bit of a little of a New Year's boon, but it's mostly the Christmas boon. But then New York, uh, January in New York, is very hard. That's our harshest winter. Yeah. So a lot of shows don't make it through that cold winter. It's also a lot of shows close in February. West Side Story is not family or kid friendly. Exactly. So, so, and then. So I don't know. So all of that had me very uneasy about this show anyway. And then his announcement literally makes me go, you, first of all, I'm almost certain this person is not, is not of Latin descent. So that's already another issue I have with No, him. they're not. But it also, I'm just like, why? I'll play devil's advocate. He is a phenomenal dancer. Sure. He's a phenomenal dancer. But on the other hand, I live in New York City. There are so many phenomenal Absolutely. dancers. Also, you're you putting did, on a Broadway production. You have the money to find the dancers right. anywhere in the you world and bring not, them here. You did not need to the hire him. The last production of West Side Story, the Maria was from 
Argentina. Yeah, Chile, something, or, like, she was a beautiful like girl, but uh, she was not the point being, an American citizen. He, so like, I don't get why. Why was he the choice? He's extremely talented. But there are people who are just as talented or more than him. There, don't tell me that he's some type of prodigy or God's gift. No. Like, no. Mm-mm. No. So no. for me personally, I... as an ensemble member, if I was in that production as a female, I would be extremely uncomfortable. That would be, I, I would did, not be, I, did, I would not be waiting to rehearsals to I, have that conversation. I did, I would I did be out read, before then. I did read somewhere that there are certain people who have threatened to quit because um, they're extremely uneasy. There's also West Side Story. There is a, so to be fair, Bernardo is not in this scene. However, there is a, there is a very explicit rape scene in the, in West Side Story. And that, that was the point I was making. It's like, you, Yes, he's not in that scene, but it's like, we have a show that literally dealing, dealing with like rape and sexual assault. And here you are hiring someone accused of sexual assault and putting them in a position to, um, harass and, you know, try to get things out of women the same way that people from Carousel came forward and said, yeah, he made me really uneasy. He was really aggressive and he would make harassing comments. I cannot see that environment being, from a directorial standpoint, I, and the, they said the name of the director too, and I can't remember it. I, to me, I say that director has already failed because the number one thing for a director and a choreographer when you're casting a musical or when you're doing a show is to create a safe environment mm-hmm. so that people can play, create, and discover. Mm-hmm. And if all of my female cast members are already on edge. And the men too, like I'm bothered by this. I would not want my wife or I don't want to be associated with him. Like heaven forbid, because I'm in the same scenes with him, people think we're friends or like I, that gets very, very hairy. Like it's just one of those things of like, I feel like that casting team and that director, and again, that director and producer, cause they have the final say. Director and producer have the final say. I think they just they've just done a disservice to to that entire show mm-hmm. one to that cast because it's one of those things of the unfortunate nightmare of doing theater is that like West Side Story is someone's favorite show. Mm-hmm. So even if all the people they originally cast or the big names they originally cast turn it down. There's some girl that has always wanted to be Maria, that if you mm. offer her that role she's on gonna, Broadway, she's, she's going to take, take it. it. And so now she's like, I, I just don't like that juxtaposition of like, do I compromise myself and go into my favorite show on Broadway, mm-hmm. you know, for the potential of, of getting noticed, of doing my favorite show for a year or however long it runs, you know, like it's, it's I don't like that compromise. And mm-hmm. that to me, is, that to me is like, we should not... So there is there is a petition and, and stuff going around about boycotting the production. Don't buy tickets. Don't go see it until after he has left, whether that means six months from now or it closes or he leaves before his six months are up. Yeah. Um, voluntary or not voluntary. But I would never tell anyone what to do. It You know, you have your own free will. But thinking about the situation and how you might feel if you were in that situation or if you're really not sure of what's going on and you've kind of heard about this, but can it really be that? bad um all this information is public it's record. all public knowledge that is it's my all public only response record. to that you can go out so you can, so read, apparently, the, you can receive, read his words like apparently I did. he did have charges dropped against him because they said there like wasn't enough evidence but go ahead and read the transcripts you can um, read his words for yourself and make yeah a and call. you can make a judgment call on that um, but i personally i love west side story i was super excited i personally will not be going i refuse to i can't support I a community that. that is okay or not even a community but a director and a producing team um a company and it's not all of them but a company that is okay with having somebody had to say yes and i also i just i fear for that entire company because i'm like cbs is not gonna let them on the tony awards Mm -hmm. with that i'm also (laughs) like like, that's what i'm thinking about i'm also like what i'm sorry what what good morning like the the talk shows and stuff like all that gamut you have to do and it's west side story so of course people are gonna want to talk to that cast like how are they not Mm-hmm. I cannot see them going on the view and not talking about that. Mm-hmm. I can't see them going on yeah. just and what whoever is up there now. Right, and you not know, bringing it up. And, and not so Lisa, I, Kelly and Michael. I can't see I can't see anyone not not talking. Yeah, about it. and I just um, so I don't y- know. You know, I also just think like y- you've you, 
this was not a one-time thing. This is the first time he got caught. Yeah. And there are other women that came forward and said like, yeah, there's been, I've been uncomfortable. The X, Y, and Z has happened. So I just don't believe that all of a sudden you've changed. Yeah, especially like even with the, not so much the My Fair Late, not the Carousel cast, but, but the, with the, the ballet, with the ballet, ballet, it's like the, there's a couple of those girls that are like, this has been the deal for two or three seasons. Yeah. So I and just. And it just took the one, it took the one ex-girlfriend to come forward and go, no. Yeah. Um, well, that being said, yeah. uh, the curtain <laughs> is closed on this episode. I also just did a time check. This is going to be our, maybe our longest episode ever. Mm. Well, that's it for us. The curtain has closed on this episode, but we hope that you'll join us next week. And every week after that. Episodes come out every Thursday. You can find us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. We are at point PYT on all social media platforms. I'm your co-host, Tony Williams II. And I'm your co-host, Danielle Colangelo. See you next week on Point Your Toes, the adventures of an NYC dance teacher. <laughs> <laughs>